Facebook famously determined that if a new member invited 10 friends within 14 days, they were hooked for life. So they focused religiously on driving the user experience to this key metric. If you apply this product-based approach to B2B sales, then you can identify those users that are ready to talk. And this method is known as the Product Qualified Lead, or PQL. So if you sell in a freemium, open source, or trial model, then the PQL method is critical to give your sales team visibility into who is ready to talk. So talk to your data team, or better yet, partner with Whaler's team of data scientists to develop a PQL model tailored specifically for your business. You'll be empowered by knowing exactly when a user is ready to convert. To see specific examples, go to getwhaler.com forward slash Andy. That's G-E-T-W-H-A-L-R dot com forward slash Andy. And as a bonus, if you sign up to learn more about Whaler and PQLs, then Whaler will send you their optimized two-page master services contract that you can leverage for your own business free of charge. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favor to ask of you. We'd really appreciate it. If you took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes, and while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate, make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, how are you today? Andy Paul, I'm fantastic. As Perfect. always. As it's always. Friday. It's great. Having a great week. No complaints. No complaints. Actually, you know, no complaints. That's good. That's good. Someday we'll have a complaint. I don't know what we're going to do when we actually have a complaint. I know. You don't have many complaints either, I've noticed. Actually, I tell the audience. I get them all off- offline. But, uh, all right. Yeah, all we, right. We get, we, get, we get rid of them before we come on. So, um, yeah, I mean, life, is, life is, is good. I mean, there are challenges, but, you know, yeah, nothing I really put into a complaint category. So, well, there's probably some, but yeah, I don't want to go to, we don't want to talk about politics. No, no, no. Oh, oh, let's not do that. Let's not do that. We don't want to change the mood. No, we don't change the mood. So, all right. So here we are. This is episode 97 of Frontline Friday. Amazing. We need to do, we need to do something special for 100. For 100. I don't know what it is, but we should do something special. So let's see this one, 100. Yeah. All right. We'll figure that out. I think, yeah, 100 is probably going to be, yeah, this is probably September. So we're probably early October. Yeah. We'll have a party. All right. You'll have to come to New York. All right. That's close. That's close. Yeah. Take the train. We'll take you out. All right. All right. Perfect. All right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about coaching. And we're going to talk a little bit about helping people who have been promoted. So, uh, you had a question. I did. I did. So my question, Andy, and I love it. I get to. Um, I was going to say say stump the chump, but maybe that's that's <laughs> too derogatory. Can't we say stamp the champ? Stamp the champ. Um, 
about coaching reps who are resistant to coaching. And I've had several conversations with various people about this, even people on my team. Like there's uh, one sales rep in particular who he at least has the awareness that he doesn't like it, but that, that he doesn't like to be in his words, you know, told what to do. And it's something though, because of his self-awareness and he and I talk about it, he's actually quite coachable, quite coachable because he, he recognizes that he just has this, this knee jerk reaction to not knowing how to do something. Mm. I can deal with that, but it's, it's, there are others, um, either on this team or other teams that, that are resistant. Sometimes they just don't ask for help when they need it. Um, others are, have been more sort of argumentative. So I just, I'm, I'm curious, you've coached tons of people, mm. um, in your past and just would love to get sort of your input and have a discussion on coaching. Cause it's such an important part of sales management and also all of us just getting better. I need to be coached also. And sometimes I don't like it when my CEO tries to coach me, not always thrilled about it, but it's, it, but it's important to get the feedback. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, so one of the things you said that, that sort of, you know, raised a, a red flag a little bit is, is you said, you know, no one likes to be told what to do. You know, the object of coaching to me really shouldn't be directive like that. Right. Where you're actually telling someone what to do. Um, because you know, at this point for me, for coaching is really about asking questions so that people begin to sort of see for themselves what the issues are, right? I mean, it's to me, coaching is not necessarily about providing a solution. It's more about yes. help, help, helping people see what the problem is because oftentimes the solution becomes somewhat self-evident to that. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's one thing that, that when, you know, when people are coaching, they need to think about is that you don't want to sort of, sort of straddle the line or step over the line between sort of coaching and management. You know, to me, management's much more of a directive activity. Go, go do this, right? We need to have this done. Go do this. And, and I know managers, some managers think, you know, hey, that's coaching. Yeah, we have a, we have a playbook telling them to go execute the playbook. Yeah, it's not, to me, that's not really it. Really, it's, it's how do you help people see what the issues are and maybe give them a, a framework for, on their own, how they're going to address that. Yeah, and that's a, such a great distinction, Andy, that I hadn't thought of because I think sometimes with this particular rep, sometimes it's coaching and sometimes it's management. There are certain things that need to be done as a member of the team, as a part of this uh, Logs.io community, mm -hmm. just that need to be done. And so, so some of it's management and some of it's coaching. What I've experienced, and, and you're right, that the asking questions as opposed to telling someone what to do, I think that's a really important uh, distinction. Sometimes even what I found, and I'd love your input on this because I know that I can get better. Sometimes it's, 
Why are you laughing at that? The, the, the fact no, that I can't. No, the background noise. <laughs> so oh, was it? Somebody went, yo. <laughs> Do you know what's so funny? I couldn't even hear it because I have earphones on. Oh. So that so the mic picked it up, but I couldn't hear it. Yeah, the it. mic picked it up. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um, is sometimes even in the the asking of questions when when a rep can can start a conversation, even a coaching conversation, very defensively, particularly the ones that need it the most. Like maybe they're not doing well sure. in the quarter, and everything. It as I as I play it back feels like somebody's telling them to do something. I think they're just feeling defensive. And sure. how, how do I, like, that's the last thing I want someone to feel. And so I try to find ways to just have this conversation, ask the questions. Well, I think one of the issues there is that, is, you know, especially, I think you, you may see this more and more because, you know, there's more talk about coaching and the need for coaching in sales. But is it, can't be turned into a battle of wills, right? It's not like it's Correct. not. Like, it's not like you can say you have to let me coach you, right? It's like saying you have to respect me, right? It's you know you can't command somebody to respect you um, just because they work for you, right? And and the same thing is true with coaching us is, is is you really can't force someone to be coached. And for me, I th- I think the several approaches you can take, and I've I've taken all of these approaches, sometimes with success and sometimes not. I mean, one time, or one way, is, and a CEO I worked for was was very good at this, is he would just let people fail. Because he knew that that if they were smart, after having failed, they'd come around and ask for help. And so sometimes it's almost like people have to have to learn that there's something they don't know and they need help and sort of understanding what that is and how they can how they can grasp and acquire that knowledge, and so you know one approach is yeah just just let them fail. Um, there's impacts obviously on the team, right? If, you, if you're expecting somebody to perform and and their number isn't coming in, so on. But but as the CEO who who inspired me in that way is like yeah, he's just taking long term view because what he found is that he got better people at the end out of it. You know, people that really wanted to learn, began to see that they couldn't be uh, sole operators, that they needed to work as part of a team in order to become better. And and I said, sometimes just failure was the only way they were going to learn that lesson. Um, and they don't always, though. No, they don't. And, and, those, and so and those, you just those, have to be willing, yeah, you have to be willing to accept that also, because I think... Um, you manage them to another career. Yeah, and that's that's, you'd have to accept that as an outcome, and I think mm-hmm. that's absolutely right. I've seen situations where managers have become essentially Uber reps because they they didn't allow a, a sales rep to fail. They would just come in and, and take over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the rep doesn't learn anything. Uh, they're frustrated. We end up, you know, keeping the business because the, 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 uh, the deals came in, et cetera. But you don't build an organization that way. No, no. So yeah, another approach that that I've used, and again, I learned these because people used them on me. Is, ah. is um, yeah, I worked for. I think I've mentioned this before. I worked for one one guy who 
when he sort of got frustrated with what I was doing and, and maybe I wasn't you know, doing things that would fit how he would do them or wasn't you know, moving things along quickly and so on, is you know, he, would not, he wouldn't tell me. He would basically learn more about what was going on in the account than I knew. And um, mm. and then we'd talk about it. And so, like, he would call me. He'd call me on a Sunday afternoon and, uh. at home and say, "So, um, let's talk about this account." <laughs> I was like, uh, and they started talking about it. It's like, oh my god, he clearly just picked up the phone and called these guys, and and he wouldn't criticize me, and he wouldn't say, "Hey, you need to be doing this or whatever." It was just the fact that he had done it. And yeah, and that was that was like wow. Well, that's a very effective strategy because yeah, now now I want to talk about because you know uh, yeah, I begin to see my limitations. So you know that's another way sort of with people. And again, there's some people I'm sure pushbacks. Hey, you don't want to take over accounts and so on. But but it was it was done in such a way that it was it was both heavy handed and light handed at the same time. If you know what I mean, it was a little it was nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't come with a load of criticism, just uh, sort of like fit accompli. And, and yeah, yeah, I learned the lessons. You never want to be playing catch up to your boss. Um, and so, yeah, I learned, you know, a lot of lessons sitting down with them and, and sort of talking about the situation. What could I have done better? You know, how did I end up in this situation and so on? And yeah, you suddenly become more amenable to, to talking to people because I'm, I'm one of those people. I've been a little hard-headed in my career from time to time. <laughs> haven't and, we all? Haven't we all? Haven't we all? And then I think you know another another avenue that I think works and is just just find one thing that you'll coach somebody on. Just one thing. You know, just keep it small. You know, because oftentimes people when they want to engage reps in, in coaching and they're a little resistant, is you know they're trying to. You know, it's like a parent sort of pointing out, have you done this, have you done this, have you done this, have you done this, to their kids, right? I mean, my ex-wife used to do that with my son. And it's just sort of her personality. She just, you know, she had a lot of questions, right? He'd come home from school and she was just curious about everything that went on. And, but it came out in the form of literally 20 questions. And it'd drive him nuts, right? So he'd shut down. Mm. So focusing on one thing that you could work with them on and just... Just one thing, and and just ask questions about just that one thing, because especially especially if you see it's a weakness, something that needs to be worked on, and so on, they'll get the point eventually. I mean, it's if there's resistance, like I said you can't force it. You just have to just have to work it. And if they're not, you know, you make a decision at some point. If they're not worth the time and effort, if they're not performing, you don't think they have potential, or you think their resistance outweighs the potential, then that's another decision to make. You know, Andy, you you said a few minutes earlier something I think that's probably, I think the most important factor in all of this. If the person doesn't want to be coached, they're not, does, they're not going to be coached. So I think hiring to as best one can, sort of that willingness, that coachability mm-hmm. is so critical. Um, we can all be hard-headed, I think, at some point points in time. But if we have an underlying coachability, I think it makes it a lot easier. And then we can work on, I can work on, you know, delivery and 
making sure it's just one thing, making sure they know that my intention is to be just to help them be successful. I think that also goes a long way when when a salesperson knows your intention. Well, I think that to your point, that is something that you can interview for and hire for. And a great example of this is given in uh, Mark Roberge's book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, talks about in the early days at HubSpot. And maybe they still do it, but he talked about when he was doing it, is, uh, doing the hiring, is that they'd bring someone in and part of the hiring process is they would make them give you know a little presentation, a short presentation, and they'd provide the person feedback and then they'd ask them to leave the room and come back in five minutes or ten minutes and do it again. Mm-hmm. And what they're looking for is to see whether the person incorporated aspects of the feedback into the presentation the second time. So are they coachable? So there are things, there are things you can do, and this, that's just one example, where you can get a measure of coachability. Yeah, we do some of that in our interviewing also, where we'll give feedback, and we don't always ask them to uh, go back and redo it, but sometimes we do, and we have, and part of it is to test for that, to test for that coachability because it's so it is so important. Yeah, and it tells you a lot about somebody if they don't incorporate it. <laughs> and but I guess you're never surprised by what you come across when you interview people. Yeah, and if they don't incorporate it, it there's a variety of reasons why. But at the end of the day. It, it really doesn't matter why. Well, if somebody can't incorporate the feedback, it's probably not a good fit in my mind. Like I've seen people that have not been able to incorporate the feedback. And there's probably different reasons why various people can or can't incorporate it. If they can't, though, the reasons don't matter as much as I just it, it's a telltale that this is probably not a good fit. Well, what it speaks to is a blazing lack of awareness of their situation. And, you know, situational awareness is really important when you're in sales. Well, I, mean, and some, I, I think everybody would, you know, acknowledge that, is right. You have to be aware. You have to be, you know, a keen observer and have a heightened degree of awareness when you're talking to prospects or whatever. And in interviews, it's just, it's the same situation. So if you're, if you're so, blinded by whatever is is blinding you that you're unaware of the fact that oh yeah maybe they gave me this feedback and they're asking me to do it again because they'd like me to incorporate some of the feedback yeah you don't need to hire them well and sometimes i don't even know that it's um that it's a self-awareness issue sometimes it's a uh listening and then being like really listening to what it is and being present to listen mm-hmm. and then being able to integrate it. And I, I went a couple weekends ago, one of my nephews is out here in Boston and he's on a summer uh, rowing team and they took the parents. And in this case, the aunt mm-hmm. out on the launches to watch the kids rowing and the, the coxswains are there giving instructions to, to the, the team that's uh, on their boat. And the, the uh, head of the program had said to me, oh, God, that coxswain is one of the best I've ever seen. He's 15 years old, but he's better than any that I've seen in the last five years, collegiate level, any level. And I said, why? What makes him so good? And he said, because he listens so 
intently to every instruction that I give him and he's able to incorporate it quickly and put it into action and keep iterating on it until uh, the people in his boat get it. But he's a good listener and then he can put into practice. And I think that's the same with coaching. You want the recipient. You want somebody that can really make good use of coaching is listening carefully, but then also has that skill of taking it and integrating it. And I think sometimes, I mean, there are times when, uh, let's say I've been coached on golf, for example. Okay. And have you? Uh, Yes, I have. Yes. And I listen intently and I still have a hard time making my club do what the coach says, not for lack of trying. Face of the club squared impact. Yeah. All that. So I think sometimes it's, it's, um, even well-intentioned, not being able to, to bring the two together, uh, that can also be an issue. Well, and I, you brought up an interesting point here with your golf story, though, is, is that I think that, and this is not about coaching per se, it's, it's more about the rep, but you know, part of, I think, what um, makes people amenable to, to coaching and part of the people do well when they're in an environment where they're being coached is similar to the coaches start with the coxswain and, and the crew is I think they're able to visualize what the outcome is going to be with the coaching they've been given. Mm. And so these people that, that they can project and say, Oh, got it. If I do that, this is going to happen. Interesting. I want to go try that. And, and people who are resistant to coaching, as you said, there's a degree of defensiveness there. It's like, and that's partly because they, they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. Right, they know that they can do. They know they can operate within a certain zone, not necessarily successful, even because I think you'll agree. Is is for me the people I've encountered in my career that I've managed who are the most resistant to coaching were oftentimes the least performers. Oh, and so and definitely. so so they're operating in that comfort zone. They just you know it's all they know how to operate, and there's there's a fear that keeps them in that zone. Uh, even though the zone is not successful for them, there's a fear that keeps them in that zone. You know, can't unpack here necessarily what all that is all the time. But, but for me, the the reps that I, I said that you coach that are the most successful with it, it's like, yeah, they have the ability to to visualize what you're saying, and I think that's true in golf, right? Is is you know, I think the successful golfers are those who can visualize the swing and visualize where the swing's going to take the ball. Well, I it, also just your story reminded me when I was consulting and I used to consult with a lot of sales teams and I would um, do some training for them was often the way that the engagements would start. And I would always tell the VP of sales, don't tell me, if, don't tell me how people are doing. Don't tell me their performance. I'll bet by the end of a day or two days, I can tell you who your top performers are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I could always tell because the top performers were always the ones who were the most attentive. They asked the most questions. They were the most curious to learn. They were the most engaged. The ones that were sitting back like, I don't need this, invariably were the ones that were actually not doing well. And the top performers were always the ones that were, 
I got more to learn here. There's bound to be something that this person says that I can learn from, and I'm going to get this last nugget out of it. And I think they just had that mindset that if they're going to spend the time, they're going to learn. And they have this, this eagerness and readiness to learn so that they weren't sitting back saying, Hey, I hope somebody coaches me. They were saying, I'm going to get as much out of whomever you put in front of me as I can. And I think I saw just without fail, top performers had that attitude around learning and curiosity and getting better. Yeah. What I think to your point is, is because I've had that. (laughs) My take on new clients is, yeah, don't tell me the results. I want to know them eventually. But yeah, let me, let me interview people first and I'll tell you who the good ones are. Yeah. And and yeah, invariably, the the people who were the lesser of the performers, it was always when I'd sit down, I'd do half hour, hour long interviews with entire sales teams, right? And individually, because I want to talk to everybody, anybody in a customer facing role, I want to talk to. And yeah, the, the people who said, yeah, management's all screwed up. Uh, you know, we, we don't have this, we don't have this, we don't have this, dot, dot, you know, with the line of excuses were always the people that were in the lower ranks of performance. Yeah. And to your point, the people that were at the top ranks, they were excited by the prospect of, of having somebody come in that's a, a different voice, different than their managers, that could give them a different perspective and maybe teach them something new to get even better. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it over, over, and over. Just that was, that was very consistent. Yeah, so I think, you know, sort of wrap up that this sort of question is, is um, yeah, it's, it, there's two facets to it, right? For you as a, as a manager that's leading a team is you can only coach the people that want to be coached. And, you know, the various tactics as we discussed that, that might lead the horse to water and maybe even get them to drink it and, and try one, but you can't force it into a battle of wills. That's just, that's just never going to work. Good summation. All right. It's true. All right. So we had one other question we wanted to touch on, and uh, we've got a handful of minutes to talk about. And we'll see if we can do justice to it. You had said that um, you'd been called by a, a former rep that said he'd been promoted to an enterprise rep, but he's in a situation where he at a company where there's no training for him. So he wanted to know sort of what to do, right? Yeah, it, it actually... Um God, I, I honestly, Andy, I feel like he's not being set up for success. Uh, one, there's no training. Mm-hmm. Number two, there's no one around him who he can learn from and, and reinforce. I mean, he's there. They're, let's go and see if we can sell to the enterprise, basically. Mm-hmm. And so here you go do it. He's, he's more of an SMB rep. Mm-hmm. And I think there's part of him now that feels, oh my God, I, I, and rightfully, this is a big deal and what a great promotion and this is amazing and my skills must be there. And and I said to him, I I would number one, encourage you to find, uh, uh, take, a, take a class, take something, get some training. If they don't offer it, get some training. But this isn't something you learn in a class. You know, you you can get started, but it takes frequent reinforcement. You're you're you've got to be you've got to also have people around you that you can learn from. And it, um, 
I don't know. I guess I, I would just love what advice would you give to this individual in this situation? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a tough situation. And yeah, I've probably been in it a couple times myself. But but for me, if if at all possible, the first thing the person should do is go out and talk to customers. And you know, obviously you want to learn the product. I presume the person he knows the product a little bit because he's yeah. being promoted from within. So yeah. So go talk to customers. Actually go talk to customers as much as you can. I know if you know, probably an inside sales team and so on, but you know, for learning, there's just nothing that beats going talking to customers in person, seeing how people are using the product, talk to the people that are using the product, see what their concerns, their issues, their their, you know, compliments are on on the product that you sell and just immerse yourself for a few days with, with customers because you come back so much more educated about how you talk to the customer because they're talking about the product in the way that, that you need to talk to them about the product. Right. And that's the first thing I do. And I would, you know, if the CEO had to invest $3,000 to send the guy on a week long road trip, do it and pay back in spades. Mm. Um, and then, you know, obviously, if if he's the only enterprise rep in the team, then that's that's hard because you said there's no one else to sort of go listen to, see their calls, model your behavior on them. Um, but I visit customers, make sure you're dead solid with the products, and you said, and, and you do have to do some self enrichment, some self development in that case. Um, you know, whether it's reading sales books, listening to podcasts like this, uh, you know, taking courses, multiple courses just on certain topics. But but do you know do something that that you think will put you sort of on the path to do that. And that's again, I would start by talking to the customer because that will unveil for you sort of the areas where you think you are the weakest, where you could need the help. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely a really important component and a great place to start. I think also for this individual the, uh, selling into an enterprise can be actually quite complex and mm-hmm. navigating a complex sales cycle with multiple stakeholders and procurement and legal and all these others, sort of the project management aspect of it is another one that I think um in addition to just understanding how customers may use it differently and how they may language, the language around it may be different. Mm-hmm. That's another piece that uh, he's, you know, when in our conversation that I just recommended he get, you know, just get some training on and reading and podcasts and, and all the things that you suggested. But it's, uh, it, it's, it's in my experience, it's often a big jump for somebody to go from, SMB, sometimes even mid-market to enterprise. And you just, you need a lot of uh, support in making that transition if you want to be successful and be really good at it. Well, if you want to expedite it, right? I mean, I was in a couple situations where, you know, they just had to go out and do it. But my learning curve was longer than it would have been had I had the resources to to support me. And, you know, oftentimes, especially in startups, <laughs> those lead times, yeah, you know, there's a, a conflict there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's going to be a learning curve. It's hard to shorten it. You just have to decide where you're going to get the resources, resources yeah. to do it. 
And in some cases, you're just going to learn from your mistakes. In other cases, you know, the customers can coach you. And if you have a product that the customer wants to buy, you'd be surprised how much time and effort they'll put into helping you be successful at what you're doing, even though your job is to make them successful. And I've had many customers over the years walk me through how to sell to their company. Yeah, so that says a lot. That says a lot. So, yeah. I mean, if you build that trust-based relationship, uh, even though you're not an expert in the product, they see that you're somebody that's going to serve them and help them make a good decision. Yeah, oftentimes customers will will support you and, and point you in the right direction. But then it's you know detective work. You follow the leads that they gave you and go make calls and meet those people and and make similar impressions and and you know span the network and map out the map out the decision tree. It's a good uh, a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. You just need the support. Yeah, but I mean, there's also there's. Oh, my last point would be is there's something fun about being the pioneer though too because you know if you're successful then especially in a startup environment is if you're somebody that that does it right you've got a broader world view you're intelligent about what it's you're, so what true you're doing, so that, true that the organization starts being built beneath you yeah so true that's a great position to be in yeah good point really really good point all right Bridget we're out of time Andy as always until next time. Until next time, until number 98. We're going to have this until little countdown. We'll, we'll, we'll stop counting after we get to 100. That's right. But uh, 98 is next. So, yeah, Bridget, been fantastic as always. We will look forward to talking next week. Friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Um, hope we provide some value for you. And make sure you come back and join us again next week. All right. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>